Hello, and welcome to Drunk Bitches and Politics, where bitches get drunk and talk politics. We are actually coming to you tonight from our West Texas Airbnb out in Marathon, Texas, Big Bend area. Beautiful mountains, beautiful sunrises, sunsets, having a great time celebrating my birthday and also just getting away for the weekend. And the launch um, of our pod. And the launch of our pod, our Facebook page, our Instagram, our Twitter, all that stuff. We'll cover at the end um, how to find us on all of those platforms, media platforms. Media mm-hmm. platforms. Um, so my co-hosts tonight are... Jen. Ray. Mishy. And I'm Michelle, your host. So pour yourself a drink of your choice and let's get started. So, ladies, what are we drinking tonight? Jim with the glug glug. Hello, wine. Hello, wine. Oh, I, it, the bottle is huge. It is ginormous. <laughs> it's like one of those bottles that they give away at uh, uh, charity events and shit, right? I feel like she's been chipping away at this thing all day. Well, no, I just opened it a little bit ago. <laughs> She's a pro. She's it's a pro. Fifty point seven two ounces. It's huge. But here's <laughs> that's what the, she said. The sadness is okay. Well, the wine is uh, prima prima mozzo Moscati, Moscato dusty. Hello, wine. And yeah, whatever. But the alcohol is only five point five percent. So that's why you need fifty ounces. <laughs> <laughs> true. True. Because. Nothing will happen if you don't drink all of that. <laughs> well, you're in half, so I'm you feel, halfway through. Do you feel something? Are you getting there? I'm, I'm feeling relaxed. <laughs> awesome. Um, and then so uh, what Ray and I are drinking tonight is a Texas Local from Becker Vineyards. And this is an Iconolast Cabernet from the year 2017. And this one is a full body cab and it is very dry which is what i really like about it i love a really good dry red and it has notes of black pepper and notes of blackberry those are the ones that stood out to me the most jan made a steak tonight for us mm-hmm. for dinner and delicious i accompanied this variety with my steak and it picked up all of the garlic and yeah. all of the pepper complimented really well mm. so this is a really good mm-hmm. steak and cheese wine so shout out to Econolast with your piece of meat that bit you back that bit you back to Becker Vineyards and what's also really good about this you know I'm I'm all about my alcohol content yeah. and uh, <laughs> this is on a higher range falls at about 13.7 which is really good for a red that's just dry so. that's why the bottle's um, smaller than yeah. mine yeah <laughs> Because you don't need 20 gallons of this Cabernet to, to feel something. You just you just need a glass or two, and this will get you to where you need to yeah. so. See, uh, Missy, if Missy could get a Bacardi 151 that made a wine, she'd be sad. That would be good. I'd be good. Let me just tell everybody. It is Saturday. We got here on Friday at what, 5? Mm-hmm. Yeah, about Friday. Yeah. Friday. yeah. And as we're unloading the car, we're all bringing in the bags of alcohol uh, from HEB, which we got a discount because we bought so much alcohol at HEB, yes. we qualified for a discount. They gave us carriers. <laughs> and they gave us carriers. And then we drank all of it last night. <laughs> so... I'm looking over at the kitchen table, and I can't count it from here because there's a pole in my way. Seven. 
seven empty bottles. Plus, Mishy and I started to polish off the Maker's Whiskey last night. Yes. And there's also a couple bottles of beer that are in the trash. <laughs> champagne bottles. And champagne bottles that we had for breakfast. Yeah. So it's it, it's been a time. It's been a time. It's it has. Time. There is no other way to look at the West Texas guys than buzz. <laughs> I will tell you, those pink mountains hit me a little differently under this glass yeah. of wine. Yeah. You know, yeah. just just so everyone knows, nobody drove. We're, we've no. been here this whole time. Oh, yes. Oh, we haven't left this house. Yeah. Oh, actually, well, Jen and I had to run the store day to get more alcohol. We needed more alcohol, but we were sober and it was breakfast yes, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did it before I drank my champagne. And that's the story is that we thought we bought too much alcohol that we were going to be, you know, have fighting over who gets to take the, you know, last bottle of red wine or whatever. Just when you think you bought too much, you, you haven't even chipped away at it. Um, but I'm about to pop open this Messina Hoff from Bryan, Texas. Ooh. Yeah, Perfect yeah. Perfect timing because I'm empty. Uh-huh. And um, Missy will be happy that this has 14%. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Messina Hoff, I remember tasting when I went to Fredericksburg. Um, and that's when I saw this at the little French grocer's mm-hmm. store mm-hmm. in Marathon, Texas. The most adorable little grocery store I've ever been to in my life. Yes. Jen got a t-shirt. We'll get it t-shirts did. tomorrow. It's yellow. <laughs> Brad-ass yellow. <laughs> I've never tasted this Messinehoff yet, so I'm very excited to do it. Um, it is a wonderfully dark, rich, and well-balanced wine that lingers on the finish. Delicate dark cherry and currants dance alongside vanilla and spice. It is a beautiful oak barrel aged wine with medium body and silky tannins. Oh, great tannins, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) So if I sound a little tongue-tied by the end of this podcast, we all know why I'm... I'm, I'm allergic to tannins, but I still drink the hell out of some red wine. Yeah, no, that's, that's not an allergy that's going to interrupt you. No, hell no. Festivities. Hell no. I mean, as long as I can breathe and I haven't broken out in hives, I'm drinking it. Yep. <laughs> just just put an IV on Right. Uh, so, uh, before we get started on topics, just want to give a shout out to all of our current listeners, any of our new listeners, so our drunk delegates... So uh, we have coined a phrase for our listeners, drunk delegates, which I love. I love it. Yeah. Can I give a shout out to my brother? Hi, Paul. (laughs) Hi, Paul. Of course. Of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because he's a new listener, right? Yay. Yay. Do you want to pop that shit? I do. I do want to pop that shit. Oh, my God. Oh, let me hold it for you. That's how that's good, machine. You know it needs two hands. Oh! Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, let me let me oh, just goodness. get a glass. Can I get a glass? <laughs> Cheers, Ray. Leave me some, girls. Leave me some. There's enough for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> There's enough to go around. Oh, I hope so. We we have we have another bottle waiting. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We'll, we'll probably pop that open during the break. So we're gonna start with a hot topic. That he's been in the news before about this, but it was always just kind of a joke, and now it's become a little bit more serious because he might actually now run for president. We are talking about the infamous Joe Biden, and the I, I don't even know their allegations, but they're but but they're not sexual harassment allegations. The hubbub. 
Let's call it the hubbub. The hubbub about Biden. The hubbub. The hubbub. The hubbub. So Biden hubbub. it's inappropriate touching, inappropriate hugging, making people feel uncomfortable. I'd like to get everybody's take on it. I know what mine is. I can give it last if y'all want. Well, it, why don't you give it first? Since give you're mine first. Yeah. My my first impression is that I think that it's going overboard, and I think we're killing our young. Like we're just we're imploding. And his response has not been good enough for a lot of people. And because he basically apologized but didn't apologize, I thought his statement was okay. I don't think it should disqualify him from running. I think that's why we vote in a primary. And if people don't mm-hmm. like it, they cannot vote for him. There's 87 other candidates. Right. (laughs) It's not like he's the only one to choose from. Right. And he hasn't really even announced yet. Yeah, he's not even running. Yeah. Here, I guess here's my thing, is that I really want us to be careful about the fact that right now we have a generation, younger generation, and I'm not saying this is bad or good. I'm just stating facts that only speak through text and don't even call each other on the phone, much less I think are losing the inabilities to speak to each other face to face. Now we're saying that you can't hug somebody, console them, you know, put a hand on their shoulder. That is a part of communication to me. I grew up in a very affectionate home. Um, Grandparents, parents, sisters, all of that stuff. None of or I guess I would just say the two women said that these were not sexual touches from Joe Biden, but they did make, he made them feel uncomfortable. And I respect that. I mean, if I have been touched by not just a man, but people that have made me feel uncomfortable, I just, I just wonder where we're going with this, right? That's Mm -hmm. my thing is that I just wonder where we're going with this. What more can Joe Biden do? Right. And how much are we going to, beat this dead horse until he says what everybody wants him to say. And then is that even going to be good enough? Or are we just going to go, well, that's still not good enough. Now you need to do this. And well, I know we have differing kind of opinions about this across the table. So you're going to hear different opinions and I see both sides of it. People were made uncomfortable and Joe Biden was told. And the response that I read online about him was that he felt that he'd listened and that he was going to take the lesson and he was going to try to be better moving forward. It is important to acknowledge that when you make people uncomfortable, that you definitely have to move differently with with people. Consent is above all. So asking permission and making sure people don't feel like they're at the receiving end of something that's not consensual is really important to make sure that you're keeping track of those things. Stacey Abrams said something that re- really resonated with me. She said that if perfection is a litmus test for Democrats, then we're, we're in for We're shit. doomed. That's, yeah, um, yeah. point. And it's important to <clears throat> take into account that there are no perfect candidates. The ideal candidate is one that takes feedback and then says, I see what I've done wrong and I'm going to do what I can moving forward to be better. And I felt like I got that response from Joe Biden and being a woman who was born in 1990 and I'm 28 and I realized that 
Joe and I come from different eras of life where certain things may have been deemed appropriate at that time or whatever. And people are just more conscious of how they make other people feel nowadays. So I take that into account, but that doesn't remove responsibility from him. And I don't think he's running from that. I think there's a certain element of maybe trying to smooth things over by joking about it, which to me, it doesn't offend me. I think that's just how he's going to deal with it to kind of smooth it over. But there are people who feel like he's not taking this seriously enough. I feel like I got the response that I wanted when Joe said, I'm learning the lesson. I'm going to move differently forward when I'm in spaces with people, making sure that I respect people's spaces. And I really do think that we just kind of need to move forward. If Joe is not your candidate, perfect. You don't have to pick him. Pick your candidate, donate, block walk, do whatever you need to do to make sure that that person is on stage and they move forward in the primary. But this level of of criticism where the news cycle is like the same thing over and over again and we've already kind of like settled it, it's, it definitely feels like we are trying to eat our own to a certain extent, but that does not remove him from responsibility. No. We should, as a party of Democrats, we always say that we believe that people can be reformed and that's why we call out people so that they can be better. So if we call out people and then they say, I'm going to be better, then is that enough or what else do we need to do, need to do moving forward? Right. And that's that's my take on that. I'll follow it up real quick just with the quote, just with Joe Biden's quote. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's had several. Yeah. So this is one that, that I captured uh, the other night, and it says, In my many years on the campaign trail and in public life, I have offered countless handshakes, hugs, expressions of affection, support, and comfort. And not once, never, did I believe I acted inappropriately. If it is suggested I did so, I will listen respectfully, but it was never my intention. And then, Miss, you had the other one, the other quote that, where he followed up uh, and said, I will learn. Yes, he said that he would learn and he would try to move differently. Right. So, yeah, that I guess that that's one of my questions is, okay, what more do we want? Who wants to go Who's next? Who wants to go next? Yeah. Okay. So, I'll go next because I, I have um, a little bit of a different take here. I think my biggest frustration is not necessarily with Joe himself, even though I, I have a lot of frustrations with him. My frustration is actually with the response by people who don't want to hear these stories. And like I and it starts with Lucy Flores. I don't know, have you guys actually read the piece that she wrote describing the encounter? <clears throat> no, I watched no. it on TV. Okay. So I'm going to Which read, I'm sure her statement was very similar to her. I'm, I'm going to read her words. Um, because what I see on Facebook are these memes where it's brushing it off as he just touched her shoulder. And that's not what happened. So I'm, I'm going to cut through a bunch of stuff that she wrote and start here. As I was taking deep breaths and preparing myself to make my case to the crowd, I felt two hands on my shoulders. I froze. Why is the president of the United States touching me? I'm sorry, vice president. I'm sorry. I felt him get closer to me from behind. He leaned further in and inhaled my hair. I was mortified. I thought to myself, I didn't wash my hair today, and the vice president of the United States is smelling it, and also, what in the actual fuck? Why is the vice president of the United States smelling my hair? He proceeded to plant a big, slow kiss on the back of my head. My brain couldn't process what was happening. I was embarrassed. I was shocked. I was confused. There's a Spanish saying, which if I say it, I will fuck it up. Um, so I'm going to skip and say it means earth swallow me whole I couldn't move and I couldn't say anything I wanted nothing more than to get Biden away from me my name was called and I was never happier to get on the stage in front of an audience and I feel like 
I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there. There's more, but I'll stop. It's it's an article. It's her words. She wrote this, and it's on thecut.com. You can go Google it. But when I read that, I'm gonna put all the the Bernie stuff to the side, and all, I'm reading the words of a woman who's just explaining. This made me feel uncomfortable. It was awkward, and this changed my views and my mind about Joe Biden. Right. And the responses on Facebook, they're dismissing it as a, sh- a touch on the shoulder and that's not what it was if it was right. just a touch on the shoulder i would be saying the same fucking thing but if i was standing there and some guy walked up behind me in a workplace environment this is work mm-hmm. you know it was her campaign she was getting ready to go out on stage and somebody walks up behind her the hands on each shoulder two hands on her shoulders with his nose in her hair sniffing it and kissing the back of her head. That's creepy as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I just, to completely dismiss it, I don't, to dismiss it like that, because people think that this is just a hit on Joe Biden, that's concerning to me. That's right. like, you know, I'm not comparing it to sexual assault. I am not comparing it to rape. I will say, though, to tell somebody, well, it's not as bad as what Trump did. That's also oh, that's dismissive. A cop out, right? It's a cop right, out. Absolutely. Right. And it's, it's what about isms? It, yeah, yeah. And it, but I am saying that what he did was wrong and uncomfortable. And there are, you know, and well, he he does this to men too. Number one, pretty sure he doesn't walk up to men and kiss them on the back of the head. He right. hugs them. He's a touchy feely guy with but everybody. What makes people think men are any more comfortable with this than women? <laughs> Right. So, I mean, I've seen pictures of a couple of those men, and they didn't look any more comfortable than the women did. Well, yeah, we can't use pictures as explanation. I mean, you could take a picture and make it look anything. Look exactly. Yeah. But yeah. I'm just I mean, there's like, pictures of him rubbing noses with John Kerry and yeah. Obama. The people that have expressed their uncomfortable, like their their comfort level with this, or <clears throat> especially victims of sexual harassment, sexual assault, and, and people who've just been through a whole lot of shit in their lives, when they express their opinions about this, the thing that upsets me the most is the volatile comments that go back at them and with the whataboutisms. And, and that's what's upsetting about this whole situation is that this woman came out, she, she simply, and she's even said she would support Biden over Trump. She mm-hmm. did. She explained something that happened that, and she felt like it was time for her to tell her story. And it wasn't, it wasn't a, there wasn't a reaction of he should go to jail. He should, his career should be ended. The, the reaction to that was what upset me. I can understand this, yeah. that. And yeah. So, right. I, I, but she I, deserves I, to have her voice and she deserves to be able to tell, you know, right. her story. And for me, Michelle, I feel like that, that happy medium, I, for lack of a better term, what I wanted to see out of this was a woman tell her story. People believe her. Joe Biden come out, admit that he'd made the mistake, and tell us how he was going to be better. I think that's what we all look for when someone makes a mistake. We want the victims to be heard, and we want the person who was making the other person uncomfortable to acknowledge that they've made someone uncomfortable and move forward. And I felt like we reached all parts of those points. And I do agree with Jen. I don't think that she should receive any backlash for coming out and telling her story. But it's about how we decide how we're going to move on. And I think that even for per her words, it was like, this happened. I just want to put it out there. I would still support him. She didn't take away her support. 
but it was important that she told her story and that we yeah. respect that. And we also respect that Joe acknowledges that he fucked up and is going to be better. Now his approach might not be everybody's favorite. What yeah. I found really frustrating was the online response, because I mean, obviously that's where we're seeing everything Yeah, is through those eyes. And like you said, there were memes and pictures of, well, he does this to men too. And it's like a collage of pictures where he's hugging a man or whatever. And then on the flip side, I saw posts against Lucy, the where it was, well, look, here she is with her hand on his shoulder. Ooh, I guess that's okay. And, that, that's, and here yeah. she is with Obama or other people. Like, I guess these are okay. And I was like, this is like they're slut-shaming her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just right. like, Blame it is the, so infuriating. Yeah. Yeah. Blaming the victim. And it's weird because I kind of expect that from the GOP or the Republican side of the House. But this is Democrats in our, in our community. eating our yeah. fucking own. And they're doing this thing that we bitch about them doing this victim blaming in every other aspect. And it just, it annoys me and it makes me so angry that if we had said that this was Marco Rubio that was being accused of this same thing, they would be off there with torches like (laughs) down. Yes. And I I want to touch on... They would prance on it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to touch on something that you brought up because, and I actually meant to bring this up earlier. Um, I see a lot of people say like, well, now, now you're saying we can't touch anybody. We can't hug. And it's like, nobody's actually saying that. No one is saying you can't hug somebody or shake their hand or, you know, give them a pat on the back. What we're asking is that you not walk up behind a woman, get as close as possible, shove your nose in the back of her head and kiss. I mean, I think that hugging and what he did are two completely different things. I think we're asking. Mm, I think you might be splitting hairs. I think to somebody uh, hugging might to them might make them might might make them feel uncomfortable. So I just want to know like where's yeah, the line? The me. line. I have the answer to that. I think what we're ask what we're all asking for is consent. Yes, that's it. So from now on, everybody has to ask somebody, "Can I hug you?" Yeah, yeah. You know what? I met somebody who wow. I met them for the first time. Oh no! I just, I just, I think I've met someone slope. who actually asked me, "Are you a hugger?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, sure." Yeah. And I'm like, "Wow." She asked me. It wasn't a big deal. It was fine. And you girls know that I'm affectionate. I hug you guys and I kiss you guys mm-hmm. all the time, and mm-hmm. that's how I show my affection. But it's we know each other and we have that relationship. I went to a French restaurant with a friend of mine a few months ago, and there was a waiter. His his service was stellar, but every time he would ask me if I needed something or if I wanted more water or more ice or anything. He would come and he would slightly rub the back of my, my shoulders and go, is there anything yeah. else I can no, get you? you need to back the fuck up. I realized that his intentions weren't bad, but it made me so uncomfortable. Here's the man I don't know yeah. whose intentions are good, I assume. He's trying to cater to me, but he didn't need to touch me to do that. And he would come to me ever so often and he goes, is there anything else I can get you? I felt like he really wanted to cater to me. I was so uncomfortable. You hit on something that I wanted to talk about as well on that same point. There's someone that I, a family-ish member type person that I've known for close to 20 years. And my first interaction with him, he is a hugger and he rubs the back. Mm -hmm. When he gives Mm -hmm. you a hug, wraps Mm -hmm. an arm around and that hand will rub your Mm -hmm. back. Mm -hmm. And it it just made me a little uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and... You know, as someone who's survived being molested, it just kind of raised my hackles. Right. That's what I'm looking right. for. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and I, 
I sat there for a little bit. I was like, this makes me feel uncomfortable. And I kind of avoided him for a little bit. And then as I got to know him, I realized that his there's nothing. That's just the way he is. He's affectionate. But he, he but it doesn't take away the fact that he made you uncomfortable. Right. But here's the thing. I never spoke up. Right. Right. I didn't say, hey, Todd. I'm going to call him Todd for now. <laughs> Todd. I, not so much on the touching. But part of me also goes, you know, Todd, when you're a hugger and I tense up like that, you didn't notice that either. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's a little bit of onus on the person that is the touchy-feely person mm-hmm. to be aware that not everyone is touchy-feely. There's a lot check of onus. body language. My God, check body language. Yeah. Because there are going to be people that will tell you, hey, whoa, back up, don't touch me. Or like, that's enough. Um, or mm-hmm. I'm not a hugger, you know, like they, they maneuver out of that wrestler hold, you know, kind yeah. of thing. Right. And then there are other people who their experiences are going to stop them and they are going to freeze and they're not going to do anything. And that's what and I if did. They do say something, somebody ends up getting hurt, someone gets their right. feelings hurt. And so I thought, okay, well, this is how I reacted to this person. How would I react if that same feeling was happening to me? When the vice president or a congressman or senator or whatever, you know, whatever he's, mm-hmm. if I couldn't speak up to just this regular person, maybe I wouldn't have spoken up to someone in a position of power, yeah. you know? And yeah. I mean, there's a reason why women put up with workplace sexual harassment for so long. So that was the thing that it made me think about is that we can't always expect the victims to speak up and be their own advocates. We need the people that are doing the thing (laughs) (laughs) to be aware, you know, and I'm I'm starting to repeat myself. And sometimes it happens so fast that the person that it's happening to doesn't really, you know, they don't have time to process all of that in their head. Right. I think you brought up an excellent point. And Michelle, I know you mentioned you felt like every single time having to ask someone if they're comfortable, that it's kind of going down a different slope. But to Ray's point, is that people have different experiences. You grew up in a very affectionate home mm-hmm. where touch was how you, you show that you loved each other and mm-hmm. it was care. And there are people who come from homes where touch has been nothing but negative. Mm-hmm. So we encounter all of these people. Or they like, just or they just were never hugged. Or they they might have been, it is I mean, right. they might have grown up in, a, right. some, in, and, in their eyes a very, very happy home and their happy home is not... All hugs and kisses all the time. Right. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean it's negative. It just means oh, they just grow right. without it. Right. And then there's some people who do have experiences with negative touch. Whatever yeah. it is, I think that as we navigate across the world, consent makes sure that we take care of that bare minimum where you don't know the person you're encountering in their life experiences and how what you might do without their consent might trigger them. So this is why I feel like, you know what, maybe it seems a little awkward to go to someone and be like, can I hug you? But you know what? Can I hug you? Yeah. And, and it doesn't have to be... It's just like when people talk about with the sex thing. It's like, can I touch you? Is it okay if I kiss you? Whatever. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a very clinical question. You yeah. can make it Are you comfortable. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I want to give it's you like, a hug. I'm a Is hugger. Okay? Is that okay? Right. Oh, you know? I'm going to hug you. Oh. <laughs> See? Just like that, guys. And you too could become huggers. <laughs> I think it's um, but know. but she she said this is not sexual harassment. She no, did. no, right, right. So why is it that in every single post I've seen, people put 
they tell that her story, Ms. Flores' story, mm-hmm. and in the same paragraph, they mention sexual harassment, sexual assault. You know what I think? That, is- to me, is another slippery slope. We, we have to, we cannot loop all of those things together. We have to be careful with false equivalencies. Yes. And also, what I think it is, cancel culture. It's that, that want to jump to, somebody did something wrong, they're canceled. I'm out. They're done. Right. Which is why I say another thing too, right? It leaves no mm-hmm. room for redemption. So then what right. are you looking for? Exactly. Right. right. So and our world is I mean, full of gray. Yeah. No, it's not absolutely. Right. So we yeah. can all agree that consent is number one mm-hmm. and redemption is important out of all things, right? Absolutely. Because we want people to be better and that's why we have this conversation. Yeah. If we're having them just to have them and we are hoping to not see the light at the end of the tunnel, <laughs> then what are we doing? Yeah, right, right. If we're demanding that somebody change or be better and all that kind of stuff, and then when they do, we're still knocking them down. Yeah, and we we're have to still let them get better. Yeah, right, right. There's not a test that's like, okay, you did A, B, and C, a checklist, mm-hmm. so now you're good. You know. Well, I mean, but, we could start with not rubbing your face in the back of my head. So yeah. I, have a, I have a question for you, girls, and I'm I'm interested to hear on your take on Biden saying. Okay, I've gotten the lesson, and if I made someone uncomfortable, I didn't mean to, but I'm going to try and be better moving forward. Is that enough for y'all? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was for me. I mean, it would be nice to actually hear the words, I apologize for... Right. It would be. Yeah. It would be. I I definitely made her feel uncomfortable, and for that, I'm sorry. Yeah. I wish I'd done sooner, you know, maybe something like that. The other thing I was thinking is that, like you were saying, that you grew up in a family of huggers, you're very affectionate and all of that, Mm -hmm. is that... For especially those people that are super affectionate like that, you just have to remember that your need to be affectionate is not more important than another person's need to feel comfortable. I'll give you that. Absolutely. Because because what is the purpose of your affection? It's a way that you are friendly with people. You disarm them. I guess not really. That sounds really weird. But you know what I mean? Like. I want to make you feel comfortable and right. safe and or safe. I want to show you that like I care me. and I want you to like me and I want to show yeah. you that I care. And all of those things are contradictory to having someone tense up and have this feeling sitting there from the time that you put your hands on their shoulder and yeah. sniff their hair. When you talk about the guy like hugging you, hugging touching and your back, back and you tensed up, to me, that is also something that should be taught right Mm -hmm. like at the home in school wherever Mm -hmm. about being able to read other people's reactions to you right not just touch but also words yeah because what somebody says to you they may never never oh that was what was that what kind of accent was that this makes me feel this reminds me (laughs) the tannins are kicking in but you know this reminds me of that the last week's Grey's Anatomy episode that was so powerful where he takes his Spoiler son and alert. he has to teach him about consent. Mm-hmm. And he's like, if she's not having fun anymore, it's done. Oh, okay. Game over. I, yeah. I don't watch Grey's Anatomy. Oh, so. You have to watch it. I, I think that you I think really, I'm the only woman in the state of Texas. Exactly. <laughs> probably doesn't and watch it. And we all talked about it. It was so yeah. powerful. So you definitely have to watch yeah. it. Yeah. But somebody being able to read other people's reactions, mm-hmm. right? to um, either their words or their physical touch and all that stuff. I would say a good general rule for people is if you're meeting a complete stranger, then maybe just don't 
worry about hugging them and touching them until you get to know each other better. Once you know someone better, then it's more comfortable to say, hey, are you a hugger? Or, you know, can I sniff the back of your head? I mean, if you're <laughs> Best more practices provided to you by yes, Jay. <laughs> it's easier to can ask I sniff the back somebody of that you've been hanging out with for a while if you can sniff the back of their head. So, um, Jen, are you saying that I have to ask permission to sniff the back of your head? Uh, yeah. At this, at this point in our relationship, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I am rarely around Missy where she, I have not recently washed my hair that she goes, did you just wash your hair? And she's, she's awfully close smelling my hair. Okay. Oh my God. Bless, you. Oh, bless you. Get that shit under control. Girl. All right. It's the dust. Man, I love West Texas. I just washed my hair. <laughs> I love West Texas, but I'm the sorry dust is if killing we hurt me. anybody's ears. Or something. No, Lord. <laughs> sorry. I'm, she aimed right at the I microphone. Hope. She didn't bend no, her I have known you longer than I've known the other girls. I don't think oh, I've God. ever gotten to the point where I've sniffed your hair. Yet. I know. I'm just I, kidding. And I think, I think I feel a sneezing attack coming on. Are we done? I just want to make sure we're done before we take our break. Yeah, Sorry, I my sneeze just say. totally interrupted what no, you were saying, No, you're fine, too. but I think we were, just, we were off on a little tangent there. <laughs> I think we're good. I think we're, we've uh, covered the, the Biden kerfuffle. Welcome back to Drug Bitches and Politics. We are on to our... Second topic of the night, which is uh, Nipsey Hussle. Just wanted to give a quick bio on him. Those listeners of ours um, are not familiar with Nipsey. He was murdered. Um, He was 33 years old. He was a rapper, entrepreneur, activist in the L.A. community, brought up in South L.A. And we're just going to talk a little bit about him tonight and I guess maybe give some homage to him and hopefully his dream will continue on but pass it over to you now machine this this one is hard for me as you girls know that hip-hop is like that one thing for me that's life yeah it's life hip-hop is life Mm -hmm. I am I love the culture I love the music I immerse myself in it it's essentially a part of who I am. And this, Nipsey's death hit really hard across hip-hop. I don't think that we'd ever, people had ever felt anything like it since probably Pac or Biggie passed. Mm-hmm. And it felt right. so much like that. And I know this is a political podcast, but there's so much politics surrounding this death, which is why it's such an important topic for us. It was in the prime of his life. It was in the prime of his life. Yeah. And this this is a guy who is known <sighs> for his uh, philanthropy and his advocacy. And at a time where people are trying to escape rough neighborhoods and making money and moving out of them, he became successful. And instead of putting his money on Hollywood Boulevard or something, he went yeah. right back on Slauson Street and opened a clothing store that was one of a kind in front of a strip mall where he used to sell drugs Right. as a young kid. Yeah. I remember seeing an interview with him, I think it was 2013, 2014, mm-hmm. after yeah. his album, 
hit the billboard mm-hmm. charts and they were asking, you know, what are you going to do with all this money? And he goes, yeah. invest in real estate. Absolutely. And the reporter was stunned and you could tell the reporter was he stunned. He asked him to repeat it. Yes. Yeah. Because he couldn't believe his ears and he was like, what? Way. Like, you're not going to buy big chains and cars and how, I mean, just so stereotypical in his Way question. Way ahead of his time yeah. as far yeah. as. And invest in real estate in his community. In his community. And the story that he had on Slauson was so different because he had been investing in tech because he'd realized that there was a shortage of people wanting to like bring tech into South LA and give access to all these kids that come to the neighborhood to like all the opportunities that the other kids get in good neighborhoods, like STEM programs. Mm-hmm. Um, so he put up this store where he he had an app where once you got in the store, it enhanced the shopping experience. He had been rebuilding school neighborhood playgrounds. Mm-hmm. He realized that tech was the future and that lots of people were from low-income, disadvantaged neighborhoods <clears throat> don't have access to things like shared office space. And I think that kind of foresight... It's not something that you learn, just something that you're born with. So he decided to rent out an office space that was collaborative. So if anyone was starting a business or needed any office space that they could go and have this place where they could get together with other creatives and have a space to create. And that place is called Vector 90. And it was the first of its kind its kind in, in South L.A. Nipsey was so important because... Prior to his murder, he had just been nominated for a Grammy for his album, Victory Lap. And this was his first studio album. But before this, he had been such an advocate for ownership. um, Because there's a culture in the record industry where black artists are the face of this culture. And they give their voices and share their culture. But they don't own majority of their own things. They don't own their masters. Yeah. So Nipsey owned everything. He owned his master. So when you stream an album or whatever, that's going straight to him. Right. And he had been an advocate so much for that, that he had released a series of mixtapes that he was selling out of the back of his car, starting from when he was younger, because he understood that owning 100% of something that is yours Mm -hmm. is better than owning 5% of something that's really super popular. Right. So I think that... It's the name Hustle. Hustle. (laughs) So he he was such an advocate in the community for people to own their culture and own themselves. And he just wanted to to give back. And this this was a really difficult loss in the hip-hop community. And for those who didn't know him and started looking things up about him... I think it said a lot that you couldn't find a single person who had anything negative to say about him. For those that knew him, who had encountered him uh, from people like Jay-Z, Jay-Z actually had um, invested in Nipsey and believed in him so much that when he was selling um, his mixtape, he decided that he was going to be the first hip-hop artist to sell a mixtape for $100. And Jay-Z bought, I believe, 100 copies. Yeah. Wow, um, do the math, do and, the math. And, and, and then bought those um, to support him because he understood what, what he was trying to do. The last photo taken of Nipsey, of him alive, is a picture of him and a little girl in front of the store. Marathon. Uh, in yeah. front of Marathon. Marathon. He had gone to the store because a friend of his or someone he knew had just gotten out of prison and didn't have anything. So he was like, come to the store and meet me. We can get you some clothes, get you started, mm-hmm. get you looking for a job, and 
make sure that you know you're presentable this is the reason why he didn't let his security know that he was going to go to this place because it's supposed to be a quick meeting Mm -hmm. um and so he ends up running into eric holder who he'd known from being in the neighborhood and being part of the same set and apparently (sighs) they they shook hands and something was said uh when fc told him that maybe he shouldn't come around the store anymore Instead of just walking away, he took that opportunity to go, come back with a gun, and took Nipsey's life right in front of his own store. And his brother recounts coming and trying to work with the EMTs to resuscitate him and living through that moment of realizing that he was gone Mm -hmm. and what a loss that was to South L.A. And just like looking at the memorial that ended up being erected right outside the store and how much it was, you don't have to question how much it was loved. Hearing the police chief in tears because the police chief said, I got a call and I saw the name Nipsey and I had to look at it three times to make sure I was reading it right because Nipsey had set up a meeting. He wanted to get together and talk about bridging the gap between the community and the police to see how they could reduce gun violence and to see a police officer, a mayor, a city council member, chief of police stand up there crying over what a loss to this community was when someone would rather just label Nipsey a gangbanger and just say this wasn't gang related first of all. Um, and I know there are, there are conspiracy theories surrounding this because he had been shooting a documentary about Dr. C.B.'s trial, who was a holistic doctor. And there's a whole tunnel to go into that. Made other people feel like maybe the story, someone out there didn't want the story to be told because the last person who was famous that we know that was shooting something that had to do with Dr. C.B. also died in an accident. Or her name is Left Eye Lopez. You might remember her mm-hmm. from TLC. Uh, so there are a lot of conspiracies surrounding that, but the police have come out and said it's not gang-related, and they'll see a conspiracy that this was just a stupid crime on the corner of Slauson where someone got their feelings hurt and decided to take a very valued member of the hip-hop community away from us, and we're all lesser for it. And it, it stings. It really stings, and it sucks for all of us because we lost a good one. Right, right. Yeah. So... What do you think will happen now with, first, the documentary, with his projects, mm-hmm. things like that? I mean, is there something, are there, are there already talks in the community about people that he was close with they are going to carry it on? Oh, absolutely. And what this has done is... I mean, is, is the chief of police still having a meeting with somebody? So, the, out of honor for Nipsey, the meeting did go on. Okay. They met with members of Rock Nation. Okay. And had the meeting, and they wanted to make sure that that meeting was going to be had in his honor because this is something that he wanted to see through. So I'm glad that that happened. And because this sent so much shockwave across the hip-hop community, Nick Cannon said on his Twitter that he was going to step up and finish the documentary. That oh, he wow. did. Yes, he did. So it's, it's, it's supposed to be shot all the way through. And, and real quick, anybody who doesn't know about Dr. Seavey, just do yourself a favor and look him up. Don't go to Wikipedia, please, because we all know that everybody can change Wikipedia. But it's like go and, and read up on him because his trial is ex- oh, it's, it's interesting to say it's the very, least. It's very interesting, and I'm very I'm so glad somebody's going to finish that documentary yes. because they're going to dissect the trial. Absolutely. 
So real quick, Dr. CB mm -hmm. is a holistic doctor that said he had cured 77 people mm -hmm. of AIDS. Mm -hmm. And the FDA came back and was like, you can't print that. You're not a real doctor, blah, blah, blah. Take that back. And he's like, no, I did. And he took him to court and he proved it. And the judge said, well, I need you to bring one person that you've cured. And Dr. CB showed up with 77 people mm -hmm. and they told their story. So it'll be very interesting to see the documentary. Yes, it'll be very interesting. Yeah. And Nipsey was, you know, really close to a lot of movers and shakers in the hip hop community. People like Jay, who haven't really spoken out, but I know Beyonce said something on her on her Instagram. But this is someone who, in the industry, if you look, people are so hurt. And they just can't believe it. He he was just so loved in the community. There are some good things that have come out of this, to answer your question. His passing has started a gang truce of sorts. Different gangs and different sets have come together to honor Nipsey in having talks and days that are supposed to be nonviolent days and basically bridging the gaps amongst themselves to try to make sure that neighborhoods are safe and that no one is dying of gun violence and there's a gang truce right now going on because of that. One of the things I wanted to talk about is after Nipsey's death, there were a lot of articles that were written by people about Nipsey being part of the Crips. I realized a lot of people writing these articles don't really understand the meaning of gang culture in neighborhoods like L.A., mm -hmm. South L.A. Right. Most of the time, these gangs are where people go to feel the comfort of family. People who don't have mothers or people don't have fathers this is where you go to meet people who you feel are going to have your back. The hypocrisy, and specifically white hypocrisy surrounding gang banging when it comes to black folks, is it, it never ceases to amaze me and it's always almost appalling every single time when I hear people talk about black gangs. Because when, when we talk about the mob or we talk about prohibition, we talk about the Kennedys, it's mm -hmm. almost in, in admiration mm -hmm. and um, even the cartel. Right, or even the cartel. Yeah. Uh it's an admiration. It's we we, uh -huh. we do movies about it and mm -hmm. documentaries and kind of glorifying this this gangster type of lifestyle. Specific to Things like biker gangs. These are people who've gone on to monetize their affiliations and mm -hmm. make a lot of money. And for anyone who watches Killer Mike's Netflix show, he does a specific episode on this where he's talking about exactly why hypocrisy surrounding gangs. Because we do have white gangs and they're able to take that image mm -hmm. and make money mm -hmm. off of it. Or they Hell's might Angels. have a shootout where nine Hell's people, Angels. That's Hell's Angels. Yeah. Or they might have a shootout here in West Texas where a bunch Waco. of people died. Oh, Waco. Waco. Sorry, excuse me. Yeah, at the Twin Peaks. Uh, in yes, Waco. in Waco. Mm -hmm. And finding out, I'm sorry, they weren't white. No, they were white. The, the one of them, one of the. They don't. Well, they don't call themselves a gang, but they. A lot of them were Latinos. Latinos. Are we talking about the same thing? The, 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 the motorcycle gang. And Waco. Yeah. 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 But they, they, well, I'm not saying that they were like all white, but <laughs> yeah. there were no, there were no black people there. Right. Right. And most of them actually ended up sitting outside, being able to use their phones, make phone calls. Mm -hmm. And just a few days ago, I found out that nine mm -hmm. people died in that shoot and no, not a single person is going to be charged yep. and all charges right. are dropped. Mm -hmm. So it's, I'm, I'm not it's sure. the difference of the way we look at a, as a motorcycle club. 
Right. Despite the fact that mm-hmm. it's still a gang. They just had an altercation. That's all. Yeah. That's, right. Yeah. And, and they and all showed up with their guns. I'm not sure on, on, <laughs> yeah. just on an the, altercation. On yeah. the makeup of the demographics of this group, but I know that if it was a bunch of black people oh, were yeah, hanging out there in their biker in their bikes and with their pants well, with their pants sagging. Right, or whatever. Red or blue and whatever has whatever yeah. Yeah, gang right. stereotype. And nine people that, had yeah. died that it would Nobody would have been able to sit on the stoop and call their family yeah, no, and use their cell phones. And yes, no, yeah. I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's like even there's there are people who even if they're not white do benefit from white supremacy and struggle because the saying is at least you're not black. So yeah. there's mm-hmm. a difference with that, and I think that we all need to just have the same energy when it comes to how we look at gang culture and try to look at it at the root to see what the problem is and then move forward to try to fix things. And what I think what was so unique about Nipsey is that here's a kid who started out in a gang and just due to the circumstances around him and didn't abandon that neighborhood when he became successful. He took that lifestyle that he had and came back and he was like, then I'm going to rebuild so that moving forward people have workspaces moving forward kids can see the parks they can play they in parks they can play in so that we don't have I can't to remember the name of the park but there's a park where it was basically inha- inhabitable because of for kids because right. there's so many and there were so many time. shootings and there. now there's been zero, zero. and it's gone down and I god I can't remember years. yeah yes and it was it's known as one of the highest shootout it was parks in in that in that part of the city, but and now it's the safest park in that area. And now it's the safest park <laughs> yeah. in that area. And he had a, he was he was a huge part of that, right? So I just think that it's important. And when we talk about gangs and we talk about how, especially in Nipsey's situation, that we look at the circumstances and not try to categorize him as a gangbanger because well, he was so yeah. much more. So even, even I mean, most of the articles I've read, I feel like it just, it's just so exhausting. Mm-hmm. When they're describing him, mm-hmm. it's either the first or the second sentence they have to reference that he was a member of, you know, the neighborhood The Crips, Rolling 60s. The yeah. Rolling 60s Crips. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like they have to put that in there mm-hmm. because they want you to immediately know, oh, he was a gangbanger. Oh, he did some well, Maybe he deserved it. Is what the understatement I feel, thing I feel like is. sometimes, like, yeah. Like that's, 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 that's exactly what it is. It's trying to put responsibility yeah. of Nipsey's death on him. Yeah. And this is a man who was standing out of his store, taking pictures with a two-year-old, yeah. only to get gunned down while he was Long there to help some. Right, picture. right. And to be out there simply because you're trying to help someone. Can I kind of, like, branch off of, of what you're talking yeah, about yeah, as yeah, far yeah. as gun violence is concerned? Because... Um, this is a problem, not just with obviously with Nipsey or with any famous black artist that gets gunned down. It's a problem with any black man or woman that gets shot. It's immediately linked to uh, to gangs, and you know, I mean, you, or seen. anything that they did wrong, anything that they ever yeah. did wrong, right? They but, have to make sure the, and point that. Turned the library book late once. When we talk about yeah. when we talk about gun violence being so prevalent in the black community, white people automatically assume it's because of gangs. And it's, and, and I can tell you, I know for a fact that's not true at all mm-hmm. because every single survivor, all of these black moms that I've met through my work, every single story that I've heard has had absolutely zero to do with gangs. It's not gangs. It's, it's the same 
situation or it's the same type of situation that you would hear in a shooting of a white family. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a neighborhood where somebody, That's prob- you know, yeah, some redneck who has a gun and you get shot by some, you know, by someone who gets mad at you for doing something. A mom, my friend Diana Marie, her son was killed by a guy because he was standing up for his friend. His friend put cigarette ashes on this guy's car and the guy got so angry and her son was sticking up for his friend and the guy shot him and killed him over ashes on a car had nothing to do with gangs and so <clears throat> and to your another example is Lucy McBath who ended up running for yes. her office in one in Georgia her son Jordan was Playing involved his music too loud he was in a car he was work. a passenger yeah. yeah yeah that's a big reason why you know here we have this huge movement now that got a little bit louder after Parkland and rightfully so, especially these moms, but you know, anybody in the black community has been saying, we've been screaming this for years right? and no one is listening, but now you're going to listen because a white school got shot up. Mm-hmm. Granted, no one was listening after Sandy Hook and no one was listening after Columbine and no one is listening at all. I, the biggest reason for that is because it's automatically linked to gangs, so they don't see it as a gun violence problem. They see it as a gang problem, and that we have to work on fixing right, that. Right. And so all of that's why all of these moms and it doesn't affect me. That's just right, a gang thing. Right. It doesn't so affect need, me in my life. So yes. we need to give all of these moms a platform, which is you know what I know that's what Moms Demand Action is working on is giving a platform, letting them tell their stories, so people can understand this is not a gang problem. It's not a crime problem. This is a gun problem. Right. <laughs> yeah. So do we that, know anything about Eric Holder and the gun that he had and if it was legally uh, yes. obtained? Or? So it was not because he's actually being charged Shocker. with fel- felony possession of that gun mm-hmm. and um, a count of uh, a murder and two counts of attempted murder. He's being held on a $5 million bail and could face up to life in prison. And he's currently being, which this blows my mind, um, <laughs> being defended by uh, Christopher Darden, who we all know as yeah. the prosecutor in the 1994-95 uh, O.J. Simpson uh, murder trial. So, yeah, I know that mm-hmm. Eric is 29. Well, O.J. got off, so how good is Christopher? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Uh, <laughs> I know that Eric is 29, and he is pleading not guilty to this crime. Of course. Uh, even though he is caught on camera and there are multiple witnesses. Um, right. So it's it's just tragic. And I know Eric was arrested at a mental health facility. He went and he checked himself in and then they picked him up there. And this is tragic all around. It's yeah. tragic for Nipsey, the hip-hop community, his family. He leaves two children behind and he leaves a his wife partner, who's devastated. Right. And... He was a hip hop community who just, in a community who just who looked up to him to bring back resources and these ideas that he had. Yeah, and, and, and you know what's funny is that I didn't even find out about Nipsey through the hip hop world. Right. That shows his depth and his realm and his reach. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I follow Gary V. Mm-hmm. Um, what up, Gary Vaynerchuk? Like, mm-hmm. give give us a shout out. No, <laughs> follow follow us. Um, <laughs> It's Gary V. Um, but I was watching Gary V on Instagram every day as I do for my inspirational videos. And he was talking with Nipsey. Right. Who he's been friends with for years. Yeah. 
And I was like, who's this guy? And if Gary is talking to somebody and he's telling everybody, you know, you need to hear this guy's story, blah, blah, blah. That's what I do. I then go to that person's page or Facebook page or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's how I found out about Nipsey. So it just showed, I didn't, I didn't I, find out about him through a song. I never, or anything. until, until the news came out of, of his death, um, I never heard of him, but you know, I don't keep up I'm not cool I don't keep up with stuff so, uh, <laughs> and no. you, you have to be really cool to, to know who Nipsey is apparently <laughs> um, but when I I saw and of course I saw the, the typical media stories and, and all that but uh, so many people on my page including you said so many great things about him mm -hmm. and I saw people sharing posts from celebrities and and other like all of these great things that they had to say about him that he, he was so involved in the community and everyone just adored him and I, I just felt like I was like wow and I was upset so like you like, missed out yeah like I yeah. missed out on yeah. on knowing about yeah. somebody so now of course I'm gonna listen to his music and mm -hmm. and every dollar goes to his estate yeah and do what I can to I say um do uh Mishy and I have a music contest, and we don't have a name for it. But because we're the night elves of the group, we stay up till the sun comes up. And one of the things that we do is we exchange music. Yeah. Right. So we test each other. Like I'm gonna play a song for you. You try to guess who it is. Blah blah blah. And I had you hadn't done that with Nipsey yet because I already knew he was. But you surprised me all the time, and vice versa. Chris Isaac. Yeah. Right. Sarah Jaffe. Nipsey to me was. When I did start listening to his music, mm -hmm. because of course hip hop in itself has its own genres, right? right. It's a subgenre. Yeah, and his lyrics reminded me of Tupac's lyrics. Mm -hmm. They told stories, and they told stories of his community that are authentic. To so him. I encourage everybody to, even if you don't like hip hop, pull up the lyrics if you're going to listen to a Nipsey song. Because right? if you're not used to listening to hip-hop, you you might not be able to understand his words. Like, mm -hmm. if you're not used to hearing rap, it's yeah. a different flow, it's a different style, all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Cause, and then once you <clears throat> learn an artist, then you can follow along with right. new songs. Yeah. But pull up the lyrics if you hear a song. Because yeah. it will... You're a poet? Yes. Yes. <laughs> far, far, far ahead of his time. Yes. And, you know, it's so funny because there, there's a song on Victory Lap where he actually refers to himself as this generation's Tupac, and that wasn't lost on me when he when he ended up dying. He often talked about his legacy after dying, um, similarly to how Tupac always what? talked about mm -hmm. his legacy yeah. after dying. And Machiavelli. He, right. And here is someone who, and I, I can't overstate enough that, yes, hip-hop lost an icon. But we lost an activist. We right. lost. Yeah. We didn't lose a rapper. That's no, not, we didn't. That's why, didn't this one, that's, that's why a, this one hit so, so differently. Yeah. Right. This is a person who most people don't know that Marathon was a, a store on Slauson. And it was something that he was bringing in. And it had all the latest tech. But that store employed ex-cons who couldn't get mm -hmm. employment from anywhere else. So... And he was opening up a restaurant in that area. Right. And this is and someone realizing that... If someone gets released Clothing from store, prison yeah. and they can't get a job, what are they gonna do? Yeah, they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to go the illegal route because they have they still have to make a living. So to solve so the problem, he gave them a job, right? And the importance of that can't be overstated. To for someone to have that kind of foresight and problem solving skills and an under 
an understanding of the needs of his community. This isn't something that someone from out of that community can come out and say he's going to fix or they're going to fix. It takes someone who's from there to understand the yeah. needs of that and the dedication to want to fix it and pouring his money back into his people and into his community. So um, we're all at a loss. And I found out recently that Nipsey's funeral is going to be held at um, the Staples Center on Thursday, the 11th. And the Staples Center will sit, it sits 21,000 people. And the last funeral it hosted, I believe, was Michael Jackson's memorial. So that's how big of an impact this is. So it will be held at the Staples Center at 21,000. Are we going to be able to watch it online? I believe so. I would think so yes, if it's at the Staples I believe Center. so. And apparently this is going to be a take homegoing. Take the day off. Take the day off. Take the day off. <laughs> <laughs> a homegoing of its kind. And I'm excited. Even if it lasted three days, I would I would watch the whole thing. And it's so important to make sure that this is done right and that his memory is remembered. I'm sad, but I'm hopeful because just like watching people like rally and try to carry that legacy and immediately on. After, immediately, immediately after. Immediately after. came and said, we're going to we're gonna push on. We're going right. to move forward. We're going to finish your documentary. And we're going to continue to do the work in the community. Absolutely. We're going to have the meeting with the chief of police yeah, in the and community. Like the, yeah, the gang truce and all of that, like, those are all excellent things that I think have come out of this at a very, very great loss. But I think we're, we're going to move forward and carry on and push through all things Nipsey wanted to do. All right. Well, thank you, Miss She. Yes. Thank you, guys. It. All right. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Drunk Bitches of Politics. Um, I am about ready to pop this one. <laughs> <laughs> She's struggling. I am. Oh, we get this is such a letdown. Sorry. No, no. <laughs> no cork popping for you guys tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Wine's still going to taste good. <laughs> it's a Francis Coppola. I've never tried this before. It's just a gorgeous black bottle with a gorgeous black label with gold writing. It had like a gold net. Net. Like gold fishnet. So I was like, it just looks pretty. Um, I bet. Ooh, I wonder if it has a really high alcohol. Uh, <laughs> Hello, wine. Hello, wine. <laughs> wow, when you can't even say the word alcohol, <laughs> right? You know that's a really hard word to say. To, let's just be sure honest. it is alcohol. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you you were practicing in your head before. Yeah, you no, no. Okay, everybody, say it with us. Alcohol. <laughs> right. Yeah, because everybody says it that slow. I have to sing her a birthday song. Oh, um, thank you, Jen. This is your birthday song. It isn't very long. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just have one? <laughs> oh, my oh God. Gosh. So we are um, at our last call. At last call. Last call. Um, so we are going to start, or I guess end with Bay of the Day from Ray. I don't know. I'll get the song down one day. Oh, that one too. Bay of the Day from Ray. I'll get, get that, that song one day. day. You're on a roll. You I really, am. You can listen to mixtape next. <laughs> Need our horn. I know. <laughs> she was my horn. I believe when a couple 
couple of episodes ago, I was like, here's your fucking horn. <laughs> <laughs> I want that on a shirt. <laughs> I got your horn. Hashtag, right here's your fucking horn, bitch. Hashtag, here's your fucking horn, bitch. <laughs> Thank you. Um, right, who you got this week? Some okay. kid that did some shit? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh-uh. Important distinction. Some kid who did some good shit. No, some thank kid you. Who yeah. did some good shit. Right, Miss She, yes. right. Okay. This Bay of the Day is a little bit different because this is our first underage Bay. Oh. And so this is a young gentleman by the name of Monty Scott. He is a 12-year-old boy from Michigan. And he got tired of waiting for officials to fill these big-ass potholes that were all around his house. And so he decided to get his hands dirty and fill those craters himself. He said he didn't want people messing up their cars like his mom was doing. And so if somebody were to drive down the street and hit a pothole and they would have to pay like six to $700 to get their car fixed, they would be mad. Mm-hmm. So this little boy just started doing this himself. He didn't tell anyone his plans. His mom only found out about it when she got a text message from her niece who saw a video of him on Facebook filling the potholes. And he just took it upon himself. His video has been shared more than 62,000 times at the time of, you know, me finding this. He's filled 15 potholes since he started out. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And interesting enough, the county and city officials have not yet commented on the 12-year-old's endeavor. But the issue of crumbling roads across Michigan is something that struck a chord with residents. He needs to send them a bill. So, yeah. (laughs) Invoice. Invoice that city. So, um, this little guy is just awesome. And, you know. Monty Scott, you the bay of the day. Cheers to you, Monty. Cheers, Monty. So I thought it was going to be the guy, when you were talking about potholes, I, was, I thought it was going to be the story about the guy who went around all the potholes and drew penises. That's another good <laughs> Another hero. That Cheers worked. to that hero as well. <laughs> it worked. The city had to cover it all up. Those, those potholes. Hey, not all heroes wear capes. Yeah. Right. I did not, I don't know that not story. All, not all heroes fill the holes, they just draw penises around them. That's right. That's a whole other podcast. fantastic story. That Some is. Hero, oh, my, my heroes fill holes. Oh, my God, there she goes. Horn, hit the horn. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to hit a glass clink on that. <laughs> that's not this kind. That's not that kind. It's of not that kind of podcast. No, I know. Do you know how late it is? And this is a fucking family podcast. No, dear God. <laughs> Okay, so overaged. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's. I'm. I'm. I'm happy to spend the weekend with my girls. I love it. We've had such a great time. I'm happy that Texas Tech is in the national championship. Oh my Go god. Go Raiders. Guns up. Um, <laughs> she lost her fucking mind. She did. I did. Absolutely lost it. I did. I did. They were afraid that the cops were going to be called on me, and then yes. I had to remind them that we are in West Texas. Everybody in this fucking neighborhood is watching that Texas Tech game. Yes. And they're hollering with me in their house. We just can't hear them. It's so, always exciting when anything Texas is. It does. It does. So Longhorns won the NIT championship. Baylor women are headed to the national championship. Woo! And Lubbock uh, Christian won, uh, women won the D2 national championship. So Texas could... Technically sweep. Take the whole thing. 
all of basketball championships. Yes. And I would love that. <laughs> Making us even more obnoxious than we already are. Right. I've uh, never been more excited in my life. Yay. <laughs> it's beaming. I can see it. Yeah, it is. I, I wanted to shout out to our number one listener. Oh, uh, who is who is that, Mishy? My who? baby. <laughs> um, <What's that? laughs> I wanna I wanna shout out to Quinn. Um, for not only being supportive of me, but the love that he has for you girls lets Aww. me know how much he loves me. I um, love him. And how much he, Ray was like, did you get him to listen to the podcast I did? And I was like, he said everything was perfect. And Ray was like, of course he did. <laughs> but I, he's our number one listener. And I think Quinn has listened to the podcast, all five episodes that we had, at least on loop all day for the last four days. And just being really excited that all of this is happening. And he's our biggest fan. And I just wanted to give him that shout out. Shout out, Quentin. Yeah. All right. That's, that, that deserves a glass plate. Am I still left out? <laughs> You're late to the game, right? No. All right. So we're going to end it on those high notes. No matter where you live. Put West Texas on your bucket list, especially put Big Ben area. So not just West Texas, but the Big yes. Ben area. We're going to do some stargazing tonight. It is fucking unbelievable. You have, oh, she's gorgeous. I mean, I life, say, life will not be the same for these girls after this. Because there's a reason why everyone knows that it goes, the stars at night are big and bright. Big Ben, the heart of Texas. Woo! Okay, I'm not a native Texan, but I'm getting, I'm getting good at this. Getting good at this. All right, stay tipsy, my friends. Yay! Oh, are we doing this? There's nobody I would rather be with under the stars. Oh, hold on, let me find my wing beneath my wings. You are the wind beneath my wings. There's nobody I'd rather look into the mountains with. Good night, our drunk delegates. Have a great weekend. Thank you, drunk delegates. Thanks for listening to Drunk Bitches in Politics. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at DBAP Pod. If you have questions or suggestions, email us at drunkbpolitics at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. It's the best way to show your support and spread the word.